Well, if you find that you want to do a Saturday night game night with your people or anything, let me send you a couple of fun little quizzes that you can do uh, on the computer. Because I was creating one today with Christmas movie quotes. Oh, fun. (laughs) And so, I mean, I have Christmas movies in there from The Muppet Christmas Carol to Santa Claus is Coming to Town, 26 Uh, of them. So So, McCrills would be the only ones that would be really good at this. Well, let's just say that I did not have to look up which movie the quotes came from. And I came (laughs) up with 26 of them that are in all cases from the very knowledgeable to the very obscure from the God, God bless us, everyone to put that cookie down. Friends, Future Jenna here, as always, jumping in with our really quick trigger warnings. So in this episode, we do have a conversation about COVID-19 and the major shutdown that has taken place throughout the course of this year. And then in the book that we are discussing, just a couple quick trigger warnings for that as well. Diet culture is a pretty big theme in the book, so please keep that in mind. And then there are some comments that are borderline racially insensitive from one of the main characters, so please just keep that in mind as well. And with that, let's jump on into the episode. Hello everyone and welcome to The Same Page. If you don't already know me, I'm your host, Jenna Clausen, lover of books, sympathizer of book-to-movie adaptations, and owner of an embarrassingly long TBR list. Each month, I'll be bringing on a bookish friend or two to read and discuss some current reads, but the question will remain, will we be on the same page? Grab a drink, join the discussion, and we'll find out together. Welcome to our second book discussion for the month of December. This week, we are discussing Skipping Christmas by John Grisham. Looks like this. (laughs) And I will get to some more information about the book in just a minute. Uh, If you are watching on YouTube or if you heard a strange voice in the cold open and you maybe missed our last episode or two, unfortunately, Dana has had to step away from the show just due to some scheduling conflicts. So we will miss him, but we are going to see where the show takes us and see what it looks like in the new year. But today, special for the holiday season, we are very festive And to discuss this book, that it's partially her fault I picked in the first place, (laughs) uh, I (laughs) slightly guilted my mom into joining us. So do you want me to introduce you as my mom or as Kelly McCrew? What what, what are you feeling? Whatever makes you happy. (laughs) Okay. So welcome. Thank you for doing this really weird thing. Um, She's sitting in front of her beautiful Christmas tree and I'm like... I have a rosemary bush, <laughs> but I put lights on it and we are feeling festive. We have our Christmas sweaters. We got some some holiday beverages and it's going to be great. It is always <laughs> great discussing books and movies with you, Jenna. I'd rather be doing it in person, but I will share my tree with you if you'll share your rosemary bush with me. I know. I, my tree is downstairs. Otherwise, I would love to do this in front of my tree. <laughs> 
my house is a little quieter than yours these days. <laughs> yeah. You don't have a dog being a literal terrorist. <laughs> that is true. And I've got your father locked away in the studio, so all is well. <laughs> Lock him in um, like the stepmother at the end of Cinderella. <laughs> yes, he's like, exactly. No, let me out. <laughs> no, he's more like, don't lock me in. Click, 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 because he locks the he door locks and turns. So we do have the same drink. Do you want to just go at the same time or do you want to Absolutely. Start us off? I actually have the same Christmas mugs that we have been using I'm before. So I love those. Before you were old enough to drink, but yes. I am drinking some <laughs> of our my holiday sad eggnog. Little child non-alcoholic eggnog with Sprite in those cups while they were having the good eggnog and they were holding out on me. <laughs> Of course, in all fairness, you were six. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. You remember when eggnog with Sprite was a thing? Mm-hmm. Yes, actually, I do. It was, um, I, it was one of your brother's uh, favorite drinks for about a second and a half. Um, and then I now, was the only one that drank it. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I would buy the big one and mix it together. And then within a minute and a half, the boys are like, yeah, okay, that's good. And Jenna would be go, oh, I'll have more. I think Poor partially, thing. though, that was probably like, oh, my older brothers are drinking this thing. This is probably a cool adult thing. I think so that's I think it I exactly. I drank it all the time because the boys drank it. <laughs> <laughs> your six-year-old Jenna. Yes, I'll have some more of that lovely eggnog in that beautiful glass with a sprinkle of nutmeg. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was so extra from the very beginning. I had Why, my yes. uh, apple juice out, <laughs> out of really nice like champagne flutes. <laughs> yes, you were. You were always precocious and very, very above. <laughs> <laughs> you you can say extra. You can say over the top. You can say ridiculous even. I think you were none of those point, things. People I will understand. I I you know always <laughs> said I wanted a princess and then I got one. You got one and you regretted it quick. <laughs> well, I can't say I regretted it, but I would say that it really was your dad's fault and the boy's <laughs> fault that you were full course diva. So anyway. with our eggnog and our lovely skipping Christmas, which um, I don't know. I think I told you this, that your dad got this book for me. And your dad used to get me a Christmas book every year for the holiday season because I've always been a reader and I always loved reading by the Christmas tree. It used to be with a hot buttered rum hmm. rather than eggnog. Dad oh, would I make hot so buttered rum. I didn't get to try these, Tyler's vegan hot buttered rum In last these year. cups. Oh, so he will make that for you again. <laughs> But dad would laugh because hot buttered rum was a, a very big McCrill family tradition throughout his childhood, his grandparents and so forth. And so he would make his mother's hot buttered rum recipe. So grandma Dottie's hot buttered rum. And your dad would, he, you know, we had Santa shot glasses and that's how you would measure out the rum is, is mm -hmm. in a shot glass. And so Santa always stood with his little gloves and he's standing on the shot glass. Okay, whatever. Anyway, I, I know. Anyway, dad would make his no, hot buttered rum and his mom's and, <laughs> and his dad. Okay, good. Yeah. So he would make my hot buttered rum with the rum only going to the bottom of Santa's uh, mitten 
which was like a tablespoon of rum. <laughs> and so your grandma Dottie would say, oh, is Kelly having her wave of rum? So we started calling that uh, my wave of rum drink. <laughs> because at the time, at the time, I would have the hot buttered batter with hot water. And oh, look, <laughs> there might be a drop or two of rum in it. Oh, <laughs> so I love that. It, but dad got this book for me long before you were born. Yeah. And when I was it only published in And so I... The copyright uh, year is 01. So you must have been, so yeah, that six. would have been after you were born. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, yep. Anyway, I been six that six first six. year, because he'd found it. Back at Borders. Remember Borders? Oh, God, I miss Borders. I found the I Borders sticker borders on it, and I was like, I do too. I do too. I don't have anything like Wow, I thought it was longer ago I than that. I don't think. I mean, some of my books, well, mostly like my YA books, that Borders closed a long time ago. But some of my books I did buy yeah. at Borders, but I took the, all the stickers off. So I, I have no trace of Borders left anywhere. Your dad always takes the price tag off, but it had the uh, whatever their special promotional thing was in the back sure, cover. Like the Target so anyway, 20% I thought it was, sticker that's yes. on the front. Yes, <laughs> except it was their Christmas book that year. That it that it first came out. So man, borders was um, the best. R.I.P. Borders. It really was. It really was. Um, so the book, as I was rereading it and um, getting ready to compare it to the movie, yeah, I forgot that the book actually it, it, it's a little softer, a little sweeter. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't make quite as much uh, negativity for yeah. the cranks in the book I, as it does in I the liked movie. That about it a lot really quickly before we get too much into the discussion because i do want to talk about that um i'm just gonna go through really quickly and again it is skipping christmas by john grisham for those of you watching on the youtubes this is what it looks like uh for those who are not it's basically a pretty little blue cover like winter sky Lots of houses decorated for Christmas, and one very dark house right in the middle. Uh, publisher is Doubleday. Copyright year is 2001, and this hardcover copy that I have, and I think you have the same copy that I do, is I do. 177 pages. And just really quickly, I'm going to go in and read the uh, description from the inside flap. <clears throat> Once I clear some of the eggnog out of my throat. <laughs> oh, well, you live and you learn. Imagine a year without Christmas. No crowded malls, no corny office parties, no fruitcakes, no unwanted presents. That's just what Luther and Nora Crank have in mind when they decide that, just this once, they'll skip the holiday altogether. Theirs will be the only house on Hemlock Street without a rooftop frosty. They won't be hosting their annual Christmas Eve bash. They aren't even going to have a tree. They won't need one, because come December 25th, they're setting sail on a Caribbean cruise. But, as this weary couple is about to discover, skipping Christmas brings enormous consequences, and isn't half as easy as they'd imagined. Bum bum bum! Makes it sound very dramatic. Actually, I think that one of the most interesting things about it being so dramatic and bump, 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 as you say, <laughs> is is that in the book itself, it, I, I mean, it really does start when they are looking at an empty nest. 
mm-hmm. which as somebody who now has an empty nest and has for several years, I know what that feels like. And I definitely can appreciate and understand the need to do something completely exceptionally out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of taking all of our kids to Disneyland for Christmas just to shake it up when mm-hmm. we hadn't when we had just moved and we weren't prepared for Christmas and there was no Christmas tree and we packed everybody in the car and drove down. Only in the book they do it basically because they know they're going to be lonely. Mhm. And it's like, but that's so sad. It, <laughs> it, is it kind does of feel sad. Bum, bum, and it, it does add a lot of heart to these characters that are yeah. fairly cartoony in the movie. Like, it yes. is a little bit in the book, too, just because the situations that they find themselves in are funny. Like, they are kind of cartoony situations. Um, but when Nick and I were watching it last night, he was like, I didn't remember it being quite this zany. And kind of like, ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba, you know. Yeah, a lot of physical comedy, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah, okay, not necessarily in the book. One of the (laughs) things that I take away from the book and I miss in the movie, which I had not thought of until rereading the book this last week, was how in the movie they do focus a bit on saving money that Luther Crank is saving money. And that's all this is about blah, blah, blah. And they mentioned that several times, even though, you know, as somebody watching the movie, that that is not the, the impetus for this. It's that they're going to be alone. But in the, the book, they make a great deal out of Luther telling people, I'm not buying your Christmas tree, but don't you have a jamboree for Boy yeah. Scouts in July? So I had that Come written down me. to bring up a little bit later too. Which, oh, I'm sorry. No, you're totally fine. Uh, <laughs> Jumping going again. a little out of order. I don't think anyone will care. We'll blame the eggnog. I haven't um, had enough yet, but I'll get started. <laughs> hey, we'll work on it. We'll make the husbands bring us some uh, refills. <laughs> it is always funny. I don't remember which episode it was. I want to say it was the Institute, but there was one just really long recording session. And <laughs> halfway through, <laughs> I was texting Nick while Dana was going on like a big discussion point and I was like oh my god I already ran out of wine and we're like halfway through and he (laughs) sneaks upstairs with the same glass so the other glass in this set of two full with wine so So nobody would notice yeah he was like continuity it's okay (laughs) only a theatrical person would note (laughs) the continuity of the wine glass (laughs) cheers to Nick he's so funny um, so just a really quick why I picked this book. I obviously initially picked this book to discuss with Dana, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, we're not being able to do that at this point. But the part of the reason I picked this is because he chose the Christmas, like, cozy mystery. And I wanted to make sure that whatever I chose, because he chose that early. I want to say that was, like, October, maybe, when he mm-hmm. chose that for his book. And so I wanted to make sure whatever it was that I was going to choose was going to feel very different than a cozy. Sure. And I read a lot of, like, Christmas contemporary romance. Like, that is... I do, too. For obvious reasons, we are very similar. That is one of my favorite (laughs) genres during the holidays. 
just because it's very comforting and it's always very sweet and you know it's going to have a happy ending, you know. it. It's tied up in a bow. Exactly. And But I didn't want to pick one of those, even though I have several on my shelf, because <laughs> I didn't... Cozy Mysteries and Contemporary Romance are very similar genres, I would say. Sure. Because they're, they're both, both for reading that comforting feeling and in front of a warm cozy fire right and especially with them both being christmas themed like so i didn't i wanted to make sure i stepped very far away from that type of genre and so i went to look on my christmas bookshelf which is very small but it's super cute it has little saint nicholas uh statues on it (laughs) um And I saw Skipping Christmas that one of my Instagram friends had sent to me, which was so nice. She was getting rid of some of her books and uh, basically sent in a message like, hey, I'm getting rid of these books. Does anyone want any of them? And because you and dad had always loved Christmas with the Cranks so much, the movie that's based on the book, and we had watched it really frequently, honestly, for a few years there. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you know what? If if you wouldn't mind sending me Skipping Christmas or if nobody else wants it, that would be a really fun read. But I wasn't even really looking at that for this necessarily. I thought about, I have a book of Miracle on 34th Street. I thought about, yeah. I did think about doing Christmas Carol. Uh, but I just, I wanted something kind of quick and fun. And we have mentioned a few times on the past couple episodes that we are pre-recording these before the holiday. And so I knew I was going to need to read both books within the week. And almost simultaneously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I ended up being very glad with my choice. Uh, but th- that was kind of why I picked it. And once Dana wasn't going to be able to record the episode anymore... It was mostly I was venting to you about needing to figure out someone to make read this book in, what was that, four or five days ago? Yeah, Um, about that. It was... Because it was just last week that I pulled it out and reread it. Yeah, so it was just going to be a really quick turnaround, basically. And I was like, if it was a full month, I have book friends that I could message (laughs) and say, will you read this book and discuss it with me? But I felt really badly doing that within just the course of a couple days. And it just kind of worked out that you were part of the reason I chose the book. And then you ended up being available and wanting to discuss it with me. Well, I'm happy to discuss it with you. I love that. I love that you chose it. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I love that you chose it because my baby girl has moved far away to Texas, and I know what it's like to have a daughter that is no longer home for Christmas. It's a very, it's a very different feeling. Last year was only <laughs> the second Christmas ever, ever that I wasn't at the house at all, and it was really sad. It was very sad. So, ironically, for the first time, I felt a little more compassionate for mm. Luther uh, in reading the book, because I think that... Um, I think that in the book, you get the impression that it is much more difficult for him than it is for Nora. Yeah, you get a lot more of that inner monologue of his. Yes. Well, you do in any book, which is one of the reasons that you and I discuss books versus movies so often, is Mm -hmm. because you 
if you like to read, you like to put yourself in the middle of the conversation. And you can do that much better in a book that you're watching in your head than in a movie you're watching on a screen. But that being said, you would think, you know, that the mother-daughter relationship, even in the book, would be much more uh, tangible. But Mm -hmm. I, I really feel that the book itself is much more written from Luther's perspective and his inner monologue. Mm -hmm. And Nora is kind of along for the ride. Right. And the Uh, book is interesting in how it's written in the sense that it's mostly third person. Yes. But you still get some of those bits of inner monologue. So it was interesting in that sense. But it does, like you said, mostly follow Luther. And you get a couple of scenes from Nora's perspective. And then you get a couple of scenes from Vic Frohmeyer's perspective, which I got to say I loved I did too, um, and I, I did loved not... that character in the book. <laughs> Partially yes. because he's really funny in the movie, I think, and yeah. because I had seen the movie so many times prior to now reading the book, it was hard for me to separate the two. I think um, mm-hmm. just because that's not usually the order that I do that in, and I sure. usually do that very purposefully. But also because the cast is so good, and it's all actors and actresses that we really like so yeah you know it's really hard for me to picture Nora not being Jamie Lee Curtis and not being married to Tim Allen and whatnot right. so it's just right I think that was a little bit difficult for me just because of that circumstance and because we had watched it so many times over the past probably 20 years. some years <laughs> yeah well the the thing that's interesting too is you grew up watching it I mean as a mm-hmm. family uh, Christmas movies start the day after, well, actually they start after Thanksgiving dinner mm-hmm. and they stop on New Year's Day. So usually you, you I tried to well, push okay. the envelope on that a few years. Most Dad years. never let us push the envelope. So I'm not going I there. Only did I will never says. admit to let, knowing that you watched anything outside of that window. <laughs> um, but say, be- give me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> but because of that, I think that like you would watch your Christmas movies, but you would also then fall asleep to them or you'd put on yeah. Muppet Christmas Carol for the music or that type of thing. I have been to Muppet Christmas Carol a lot. <laughs> exactly. Because it's such a beautiful score. Mm-hmm. So you have these things from your earliest childhood memories. I mean, I don't remember when the book came out, but it, it had to have been, I mean, the movie, but it had to have been after the book. And I, I would have sworn it was. Five it was or six okay. So it's. That's how long you've been watching it, you know, because I would imagine we started watching it pretty soon after that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, the the book itself kind of delves into the things we do as parents that we don't realize that we're doing them until we can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what makes this, this particular book so nice to touch again this year is that it feels much more relevant, especially in this time when everybody is staying so much closer to home. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that was one thing I wanted to make sure I asked about too was because you hadn't read it in a few years, this would have been your first time reading it since you had an empty nest. And I was... Yes, yes it was. As rude of a question as that might seem, like how does that change it since that is such a 
big part of what is driving the story forward. I think that I understand it better. I understand the idea of if things if things can't be the same, I'm going to blow it up and make it extremely different. Yeah. It's just, if I can't have this emotion that I'm used to drawing forth and this group that I'm used to embracing, then I'm getting out of Dodge. I'm going far away. I don't want, I want to see palm trees, not pine trees. I want to see beaches, not snow. Um, I totally feel like there's an empathetic part of me reading it this last week that went, holy smokes, it just never occurred to me when I read it the first time, because mm-hmm. I had all these little children that were running around baking cookies and eating and artichoke wow, dip and wrapping nice presents. escape for a week? <laughs> yeah, you know, you're yeah. thinking, ooh, that'd be fun. Why, why is this a problem? Well, <laughs> on, on the one hand, I can't imagine you calling me on Christmas Eve and saying we're flying in because oh I probably would have killed you. So let's let's go there for a second. Nick and I talk about that every time I talk about the movie or the book or whatever. I hate Blair. I hate her for that exact reason. Like, and I was talk talking about to you about diva. this last night. Even when I was living twenty minutes away from you, like I could get in my car. And not even be turned on and driving yet. Like, I could be getting in my car at my apartment and getting out of my car in your driveway in 20 minutes. And even then, I can't imagine ever being like, hey, I'm on my way. See see you in 20 minutes. See you in an hour. And it's just like, especially for Christmas. Exactly. The presumption that everything was going to be the same. But even more so than that, like, I understand wanting to surprise your family. I understand wanting to have that element of like, oh my gosh, it's it's so sweet. It's so beautiful. It's like the, um, all of the videos of soldiers coming home two days early and surprising their wife or surprising their kids at a school assembly, you know, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful idea. And... To some extent, I think it's very sweet and very heartfelt, but I can't imagine not even giving 24 hours notice to whoever is in charge of making things ready for people. <laughs> Precisely. But on that same note, it, if you're 20 minutes away in your apartment and you call and say, hey, I'm heading over on Friday night, is there, there, is there going to be artichoke dip? Mm-hmm. That's a very different conversation than I'll see you a year from now at Christmas and then Versus, in a hey, week, in you call me and say, <laughs> hey, by the way, I'm landing in Miami in two hours yeah. and home in eight. Those are two completely different. You're not going to see them for a year and then all of a sudden you're going to come home. Right. So first of all, let's talk about giving her a little swat on the backside. because I, no. yeah, I, I do not like her. That makes me no. so angry. And it's probably just because you and I are so similar. Like I love Where hosting. do you get that? I love that. <laughs> But I need 48 hours so that I can make sure there's food in the house that people will want to eat. I need to make sure the guest room is made up or that things are clean and I will not be embarrassed that people are showing up. You know, I need 24 to 48 hours minimum to make sure I am ready for someone to show up at my house. And I can't imagine 
being like, hey, Merry Christmas morning. I'll be there in six hours. Exactly. Exactly. And and none of my family <laughs> so much. can I imagine doing that. So if you put that aside and you say, okay, let's, let's spend reality for a moment <laughs> and whatever. The other thing in the movie that you do get a little bit in the book, as you're talking about from Vic Frohmeyer's perspective within so the funny. book. And then, you know, when you've got Dan Aykroyd in the movie, it's kind of, <laughs> I, I, even in the book, all I could see was Dan Aykroyd's, exactly. you know. Yeah, he, so I totally got partially, that. Actually, he's just kind of so brilliant in that movie, though. And he's so Vic Frohmeyer. he's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> he's so Vic Frohmeyer. But are you kidding me? You're going to tell me I can't not celebrate Christmas? Right. And that because I choose not to, I'm rude and evil and horrible? No, I've just chosen not to. Yeah. So in the movie, I get really frustrated <laughs> watching yeah. it. In fact, well, they try we're watching like- he wanted to say Walt, which is the neighbor. They keep trying to make Luther the villain of the movie. Yes. And there are some characters that do that a bit in the book, too. But you can tell, sure. like, that is their personal feeling and not the feeling of the book. And it kind of comes across that the movie is like, hey, look at this old curmudgeon who doesn't want to put up a Christmas tree. And I... It, it just seems like the whole know. community gangs up on him. And so yeah. dad and I are watching it last night and I'm like, that is so unfair. It's really it is so weird. unfair. Because <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, he doesn't want to put up a Christmas tree. He doesn't say you can't put up a Christmas tree. Right. He didn't want to put up Christmas lights. He didn't say you can't put up Christmas lights. And there are some certain things, like there are a couple of moments and situations where I'm like, okay, this costs you nothing. This, not time yes. or money. You could have done this and people would have gotten off your back. The main example being the Frosty. The like, Frosty. The snowman. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it briefly mentions it in the inside flap. But, <laughs> but on their street, Vic Frohmeyer, this president of the street, I guess. He's so funny. But he just has decided he's in charge. And everyone else is like, yep, you're right. You are in charge. Um. It says in the book that a couple years ago, he and the council decided that everyone on this street was going to get this same exact seven foot tall Frosty the Snowman (laughs) to put up on their roof. Um, And in the book, Jenna, don't they mention too, and only in the book, that several streets are are involved in a Christmas yes. contest. Okay, they so that's do really briefly mention it in the movie, but it's not okay. nearly as big of a thing. Yeah. Um, but yes, and and I did like the detail in the book too that it's actually Vic Frohmeyer that convinced the city to start this contest. Yeah, so he can his, win, right? Because he, basically, <laughs> you get the idea that he was like, "Wow, my street is kicking ass. We are so festive. <laughs> we yeah. should win an award for this." And Let's so he put convinced <laughs> he convinced the city to put together this contest <laughs> of all of the streets and the neighborhoods to see who is the most. Christmas cheery and the most festive. And it also mentions after they got the Frosties and everyone put them up and they were beautiful and everyone loved them and they got so popular. uh, Some of the other neighborhoods ended up getting all matching giant crap to put on their roof too. So (laughs) I actually wrote it down. It mentioned that uh, one of the streets got giant Rudolphs to put on oh, their that's roof. Right. That's right. And another one got like big jingle bells. But so they were trying to do this thing too. But basically uh, 
keep up with the Joneses. Right. Which is also <laughs> a big theme in the book. Um, but, but that is one of the few things where I'm like, okay, Luther, you're being kind of a curmudgeon. Like, they are offering to put up your Frosty for you. so They're going to do it all for you. It. <laughs> it is completely free because you already own it. And this is a thing not just for you, but for the neighborhood. Like, they're yes. not even saying you have to put up other lights. But put up the light up Frosty or let them put up the light up Frosty. And he's like, no, it's the principle of the thing. We're not yeah. doing that. And he yeah. yells at Nora, who is trying to be like, hey, I'm just going to let them do it. It's going to be great. Yeah. It'll be up when you get home. We can turn the light off. You won't even notice. Yeah. <laughs> but he yells at her. And that is one of the few times where I'm like, okay, guy, you can calm it down a little bit. Yes. And you're you're absolutely right. Because you're like, okay, wait. Where, where does this borderline on it's the principle of the thing? Okay. I'm not going to. That's not a hill I'm willing to die on. So you take that care of yourself exactly there. exactly right. Like, sure. Yeah. I understand the mindset of. If I want to skip the Christmas season, I can, and they can't tell me that I can't. I understand that mindset, but pick your battles. Like, pick which one is worth dying for. Exactly. I just maybe it shouldn't be frosty. I think. But I mean, you're not there. You're not. <laughs> let it go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the, my my least favorite scene in the entire movie, which is much more tepid in the book is where Frohmeyer, you know, he's fallen off the roof and Frohmeyer gets up there and, and says, doesn't matter what Luther's done. It's all about the daughter. It's not about yeah. the father. Blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why should okay, the daughter be punished for the sins, for the of, sins the of the father? Like, oh it's my like, no, 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 Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> We're not talking about a sinning father here. We're talking about a guy who said, hey, I don't want to do Christmas. Uh, yeah. That's a, a whole like, different hey, ballgame. I decided to buy my wife and I a vacation for Christmas so that we can enjoy it. I, I, don't even, <laughs> I see it more even as he bought an escape. Yeah. And then, okay, let's talk about Nora's spinelessness for a moment. <laughs> Blair is never to know. Are you kidding me? Blair would yeah. be hearing about it the minute she walked in the door. I, Are you having yeah, a Christmas party? The no, you're well, not. See, no. If I, even if I, because I can understand being on the phone in that moment, like, I'm coming home. Are you throwing the party? I can understand in that moment being like, of course we are. Why would we not be doing that? What What are we talking about? <laughs> but then even if in that situation, if I am Nora, even if I don't call her back and be like, hey, I don't know why I said that. We're not doing a party. Like, you can come over. We'll see you tonight. Bye. Like, then we're leaving for this cruise. But even if you're not going to do that, fine. Do all of the running around and the stressing and trying to put this party together but then as soon as those guests go home and leave my house, like, by the way, I would like you to be like aware of exactly how hard I had to work for you today and how it's to make all this your happen. fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's just, I'm not as nice of a person as uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is. Apparently I'm not either. Cause I think she needs to, you know, get but a backbone there, sister. Even if I'm doing sister. the rushing and the, you know, rushed cleaning and decorating and cooking after the fact, I will be like, Hey, we need to talk about this and your blatant assumption of what I'm going to be doing. So I, I understand on one hand, the assumption of a kid who's never been away from home coming up and saying, well, of course they're going to do it. They always do it. And I, Hey, I'm coming home. Mm -hmm. They'll be I, thrilled. They'll be thrilled. I don't understand the parent or the 
the opposite sides of the parent where you've got Nora saying, we're never going to tell her and Luther going, I'm leaving on the vacation anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Peace out. Two enjoy different, the two house different wars. Okay. Yeah. Enjoy the house <laughs> and the decorations that don't exist until tonight. Right. But and I mean, the decorations I that belong to the neighbors. <laughs> to everybody else. And how exactly is that going to fly when they're still <laughs> there tomorrow? But you know, that's dealing with movie magic. Uh, but it, it's it's just that, yeah, I, I get the presumptuousness mm-hmm. of a kid who's never been away from home. But I, in the book and in the movie, as an adult who now has lived, oh, 50-some years, 55, if I listen to your dad, what the heck? <laughs> you know, step back. Take a minute. Right. It, it's, it's just a really interesting it's just a really interesting thing. So yes, it felt very different reading it this time, feeling like I have an empty nest. One of the interesting aspects of Christmas with adult children um, is that you spend a lot of time when your kids are little with the magic of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then as they hit their teenage years, you enjoy more family activities than the magic of Santa coming down the chimney. And then when you have adults that your children are adults and you're dealing with separate families that all come together for the holidays, it it is really poignant, I think in the book and and to a certain extent in the movie, but it's, it's really quite poignant to see that some of the traditions and things that you start as your kids are children and they mature and grow as your children mature and grow, there is still a certain aspect of those very beginning moments that your adult children look back with such fondness that they recreate in their heads, whether they actually exist or not. Kids to a certain extent will get very nostalgic, especially during Christmas, but there's things like that throughout the year, I would say. But especially during Christmas, like, the kiddos are going to get really nostalgic for these things. And this, kind of like we talk about when you go to Disney and you feel like you can act like a kid again, I feel like the Christmas season and the month of December is kind of the month-long feeling of being in Disney and feeling like you can act like a kid again. And for everyone, at least to a certain extent. And so... I understand the presumption that everything will be the same in the sense that those memories kind of take over everything. And sure. when it when I decorate for Christmas, I start feeling like a child, you know? And sadly, I'm not. You and Nick both like to remind me how old I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll always be older. But, well, for the best, probably. <laughs> but yeah, so I, that is... The little bit of it that I understand is from that point of view where it's... So, uh, you know, on on the turnaround being fair play, this will be the third Christmas with Nick that you've spent away from home. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about the whole new way of doing Christmas? To some extent, that might be why I found myself siding with Luther more than I would have a couple years ago. And it, it does sound ridiculous I wondered because about that. I'm not the empty nester. I am the person leaving the nest and going and making my own nest. But I do think that it is 
very much two sides of the same feeling and the same situation where I left, so your house is empty, but I left, so my house is empty. And I was wondering if that was kind of how you would feel about the book in particular over the movie. Because the movie does, as you mentioned earlier, have several slapstick type events has a lot of physical comedy has a lot of much easier to forget that it's because they're sad and it's because exactly like exactly in the beginning it does much more turn into we're saving money and we can go do these things that we've never gotten to do on christmas or you know whatever right um and yeah in in the book it does come across much more as they're sad. Kind of a heartbreak and feeling kind of lonely and left behind. Um, yeah, exactly. That's it. That's that's the feeling that I think is prevalent for me as I uh, relate to Luther much more than Nora, which I thought was interesting. You do really feel like you've been left behind, and almost it's almost like you're the forgotten toy on the shelf from last Christmas. Hmm. That's Which sad. is kind of an it's kind of an interesting feeling, and I think probably because of of COVID and the fact that everybody has already been so separated for the last umpteen months, mm-hmm. it it feels almost more isolated this Christmas than it's ever felt before, yeah. and like it's magnified. Which I think this book hit a little bit harder than I think it even would have last year. Yeah, and I think that might be part of it. I think is- that's true. We're just, as a society, feeling very uh, isolated right now. I think that's true. Life has changed. And how can I make it better for me? Yeah. How can I exist beyond this moment? Because in the specifically in the book, in the beginning, that is the first thing I remembered remarking on was that they are trying to live through this moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting in the book, they do not make as big a, a, an issue, I'm not sure is the right word, but they don't they don't draw attention to the fact, like they do in the movie, where there's a line that Nora uh, says about uh, Christmas is put on by women. Mm-hmm. We're the ones that have to do the cooking, that the baking, the, the decorating. Well, um, but it's phrased a little bit differently. And, and I and, don't think it draws the same attention to it. Right. For anyone who hasn't read the book or maybe seen the movie, the line that she's talking about is basically when Vic Frohmeyer, that head of the neighborhood, and some of the other neighbors are at their house <laughs> while Luther is at work and they're trying to kind of peer pressure uh, Nora into giving them her Frosty so that they can put it up for them. Um, she is on the phone talking to Luther and she has this big <laughs> cat's meowing downstairs. Um, <laughs> she has this big almost rant that she goes on on the phone with Luther where she's saying okay, but you're the one putting your foot down on this and you're not the one here dealing with the consequences. Like, the women are the ones that put on Christmas. We are the ones that deal with the neighbors. We are the ones that buy the gifts and decorate the trees and do all of these things. And you are putting your foot down that we can't do any of that, but I am the one that is getting yelled at for it. And I, I think that that is a really interesting part. I did have that written down, not really as a favorite quote 
in the movie or the book, but as a moment that I found really interesting in both of them. Because really what that is translating to, at least for me, is the emotional labor and the emotional baggage yes. of the holidays. Me too. That me too. does tend to fall on the women, just, you know, statistically, not as a women are more prepared to do this and men go hunt, gather, you know, none of that. It's just statistically speaking, in specifically heterosexual relationships, based on the expectations that society will put on the men in that relationship, they will not necessarily be prepared to handle that emotional labor in a relationship, um, dealing with the in-laws or planning a Christmas or, you know, whatever. And so a lot of the time it is just kind of as a default put onto the women in those kinds of relationships. And so I, just, I think I you can take really it interesting. even further than that and in, in saying that it's not even necessarily men versus women in that, but the emotional partner versus the non-emotional partner. The one true. It does happen a lot in other types of relationships as well. It's just when more... You're, Easy to identify, I guess. I, I think say. that's true. It, but it is much more about the emotional handling for me. And mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's where it's, it hits home more or is more pointed in that it is, it's whoever is the most emotionally involved in creating the perfect moment, regardless yeah. of who that is. So all of that kind of leads to... One of the main questions that I wrote down that I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on. Mm -hmm. Would you ever skip Christmas? Ooh, that's a loaded question. And I um, mean, obviously, never say never, you know? Sure. <laughs> you never know what situations are going to be in the future. But have sure. you ever thought about skipping Christmas yes. when you had an empty nest? Is it something that you could see yourself doing in the future? Yes, to a certain extent. Um, ironic, but I feel like when I packed everybody, or Dad and I packed everybody in the car, and a week before Christmas said, we're going to Disneyland, packed the presents, packed a tree, put you guys in the car, had no hotel reservations, <laughs> had just the tickets that we purchased at the hotel that day. That was probably the closest thing we've ever done to skipping Christmas, um, mm -hmm. where we didn't really have much at the house, but we had stuff down at, at Disneyland. Sure. So in, in that sense, yes, we thought about it. We even, I think, did a pretty good job of making it happen somewhere other than at home all those years ago. Mm -hmm. But would Dad and I today or next year or six years from now not put up a Christmas tree, not put up the decorations, leave the nutcrackers and the snowmen and, and all of my garlands in the boxes. I don't know that I could. I can absolutely see your dad and I saying, all right, let's, let's spend Christmas at, uh, in Hawaii. Let's spend Chris, let's take a cruise for Christmas. Your dad and I loved our cruise. I absolutely can see us doing that. Um, but I, I'm not positive either your dad and I would ever leave everything in the garage for the year. I was going to say. I, I'm I not sure I see that happening. Even if we weren't going to be home for the entire week of Christmas or, you know, Christmas to New Year or whatever. 
I can't imagine a year with all of my Christmas decorations or your Christmas decorations or whatever staying in the garage or in the attic or wherever they might be. Exactly. I, mm-hmm. and that's another thing where it's like, that is kind of an emotional labor and it is a physical labor, depending on what it is you're putting up, uh, taking exactly. and setting the time away to do that decorating. But that's something that always makes me so happy when I'm just, I'm home and especially right now working from home. Like I can't imagine having no Christmas in the house, even if it was about saving money or whatever. These are things that don't cost you anything. Like if you don't, if you can't buy a tree, don't buy a tree, but like put the Christmas village up, you know, I can't imagine completely skipping all of it. Right. And I feel like that is one of the couple things that feels like it's missing from this book too, is you can celebrate if or when you want to, you know, and mm-hmm. but you can at the same time do just enough if you don't want to go full ham on Christmas, you know? Yeah. Don't buy yeah. and put up a tree, but pull out your Christmas village or... Uh, don't buy gifts, but still make your charitable donations. Um, don't put lights on the house, but let your neighbors put up Frosty. You know, just like compromise little, little trade-offs that I think just character-wise would have made Nora more comfortable and more happy throughout the season uh, and yes. throughout the book and the movie instead of feeling like Luther was kind of dictating towards her which is kind of how it comes across and there are obviously some places where the book and the movie vary I think that honestly I was telling Nick I was surprised how faithful of a translation it was we were too it was almost one for one honestly there were only a couple of scenes that were different um or were added for the movie or character and uh filling pieces that were slightly different. Right, exactly. And even some of the conversations, the memo that he sends around to his office saying, I'm not doing Christmas this year. Um, The local newspaper writes an article about them saying that they're skipping Christmas. There were even some points like that where it was almost word for word taken from the book, which I actually, I really appreciated. I did too. Um, But, you know, there are, a couple things that change and one of those that I want to bring to light because it makes me happy and it is in so many of my Christmas movies that I love is this weird Christmas movie trope of the real but in disguise Santa Claus (laughs) (laughs) that may or may not be the real Santa and it's just this thing that is randomly in so many Christmas movies where there's this sweet old man that's just in the background of the whole movie and then suddenly (laughs) something magical happens or nothing magical happens and then they fly away in their car like their car has reindeer attached to it whatever (laughs) And it's so funny to me all the time of this like, oh, so that was that was Santa is what we're saying that that's what you're sticking with. Okay, 
cool, we are sticking with that being the real Santa. And <laughs> it just cracks me up. So that is a trope that is in this movie. So this character, you focus. find out very late, his name is Marty. And you see him a couple times throughout the movie. But then in the book and movie both, Nora just runs into him while doing this mad dash to get ingredients. And he's like, oh my god, Nora, how are you? How's your husband Luther? What's Blair doing? Like all of these very specific details. And she cannot even <laughs> remotely place who he is. And she says, yeah, she's coming home. We're having a party. Do you Do want to come? to come? <laughs> and he goes, oh my gosh, yes, thank you. You're on Hemlock Street. And she goes, why do you know that? And he goes to the party and nobody knows him. And we only learn his name because Blair's new fiance obviously has never met him. And so he introduces himself as Marty. And then this is where the book and the movie differ as far as this character is concerned. That is the end of Marty's story in the book. But then in the movie, two of the police officers end up picking up a criminal <laughs> that is not in the book. Just like a is someone trying to do break-ins on Christmas Eve type thing. And he's in the car while they're at the Crank's house for a party, which is weird. Um, and he... Kind of a long story, but he finds his way into the house and he's stealing stuff and he's getting down the roof. And Marty, dressed as Santa Claus, hits him with an umbrella and is like, see, I was the Santa at the store from the very beginning of the movie. I'm leaving now. Bye. And that's it. <laughs> and then the very last shot of this movie is him literally in his Volkswagen bug with reindeer attached to it, flying into the end credits. The sun. <laughs> and, and it's just, it's so, it's so weird. But so many Christmas movies think that that is a necessary thing to include. <laughs> This, like, real hidden Santa Claus in all of these small towns. And it's so weird. <laughs> um, so we can kind of go into... I usually talk about favorite character scene and quote. I didn't really... It, there weren't any quotes in this book that stuck out to me, except no. potentially that one that we talked about earlier with women being the one that handle Christmas. But almost more in the movie than in the book, and for a very different reason, not necessarily because it was a favorite. So the only thing that I wrote down is one that you did mention earlier, and that is every time people come to the Crank house and are trying to basically sell him something that he always buys for Christmas, he tells them to come back later. So, like, the... uh boy scouts selling the christmas trees and he says he's not buying a tree because they're not putting one up he says but wait every spring or summer don't you gather money to buy new uniforms and they say yes and he says great come back then and i'll give you a hundred bucks for new uniforms and the police officers come around selling calendars and he says aren't you collecting money for this instead in the spring? Come back then and I'll give you $100 for this. It's always $100, which made me laugh. But it was it was something that's completely left out of the movie. Well, I think it made Luther more human. Yeah. Didn't yeah, you think that? I did. I Well, what I thought was so interesting, I think, 
was not necessarily that it was in the book, but that it was left out of the movie. If that makes yes. sense. Because like they were trying to make him more evil or villain-like in the movie. Yeah, and especially because, again, like you said, it does seem more like it's about saving money in the movie, and it's not in the book, and that was just a big part of that. But also, when in that scene you were talking about when Fromeyer's like, oh, the sins of the father, and he's been terrible, and everyone's so mad at him, at the end of the book, it seems even more ridiculous than it does in the movie because the whole time he's been saying, like, we're not doing it right now. Come back at your next fundraiser. And some of those situations, it is double what he would be paying for whatever it is now. So it it's not that, and it's not that he is withholding that from anyone or that yeah. support from anyone, but yet they're still like well, aren't you proud of your police officers? And, well, we're sorry we had to go up on the price, but we're the Boy Scouts and everyone loves us and all of these things. And they are still so mad at him at the end of the book. But he, he was just telling them to come back later? I don't, I don't yeah. know. It was interesting to me that it was something that was yeah. chosen to leave out of the movie. And I think it would have been of benefit to the movie yet you did mention that i should think about a favorite character and a favorite quote and so forth but i have to tell you i don't think i have a favorite character mm -hmm. in the book i think that it's a pretty good ensemble cast for the yeah. book um honestly my favorite character in the uh movie is marty because I he shows up in all the crazy places. Yeah. <laughs> Every time Luther gets wet or it's raining or there's something going wrong, <laughs> really he shows up with a honey an umbrella. An umbrella. Do you want to know why he I don't shows... want one of your stupid umbrellas? Because and I couldn't even possibly get any, any wetter. <laughs> and then he shows up at the party with a honey baked ham, which is another <laughs> huge piece. I, I didn't know how much of the plot line you actually wanted to go into for this conversation, but mm -hmm. the honey baked ham being one of the big moments hickory for Nora. Hickory Hickory honey ham <laughs> uh, is Blairy's favorite. And that is mentioned 50 times in the book and 50 times mm -hmm. in the movie and Nora can't get it and she finally gets one and then it's destroyed in the movie. And I mean, it's just, it's a crack yeah. up with stupid ham when nobody likes ham anyway. But then here Marty shows up with a ham and he's <laughs> Apparently at, too, because then they give then one they, to, the, <laughs> to the neighbors. That's what your dad said. He said, crazy how they had two all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know. But they're in the- Or that no one when, noticed it went missing. <laughs> Yeah, Which yeah, is exactly. Funnier to me, <laughs> or uh, the part you mentioned earlier where they run into each other at the liquor store, where she's picking up all of her uh, last-minute things to try to throw this party together, and he's talking to her like he knows who she is, and she doesn't know who he is, and the Augie who's walking by doesn't know who he is. Yeah. And, he picks up a bottle of Bailey's and then he puts it down and zips out of the store. And you're like, okay, why were you even there? You bought nothing. You <laughs> talked to no one, but you know, except so, Nora. And then my favorite with him, honestly, is when he's at the party and everyone <laughs> is like, he's greeting everyone by name and with specific yes. details. I don't know. And they're like, I don't know who he is. They're all <laughs> looking at each other behind his Father back. Father like, this person? <laughs> don't know. And Enrique shows up and obviously gets the introduction because they've never met. And he introduces himself to Enrique as Marty. 
and <laughs> across <laughs> the room. So you get the idea that Luther has been watching, waiting for this interaction. And he goes, Houston, we have a name. I mean, and later Blair comes up like, who is this man? And they both go, Marty. Everyone knows Marty. <laughs> you know Marty. Everybody wow, knows yeah. Marty. Favorite character. So, I had a hard time. I wrote down Nora, question mark, Luther, question mark. But no, you're totally yeah. right. Um, hot take, Marty is the best character. <laughs> because there are parts of both book and movie where Luther steals the show. Mm-hmm. There are parts where Nora steals the show. And I love Jamie Lee Curtis anyway. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, it's hard to read the book after all these years and not hear her in my head. Yeah. Um, Which makes them but, more charming. Because they're people sure. that you already inherently like. But there are parts of it where you go, okay, I can't believe you did that. And I can't believe you said that. And so that kind of keeps her from being my favorite character. Or mm-hmm. for Luther. Um, Luther and- has a couple of... Uh, I'm going to, after we record this, uh, record some trigger warnings to put at the beginning of the episode. And I'll mention it there. But he has a couple of borderline racist or racially insensitive comments that he makes. <laughs> And I, I think that's part of why I had a hard time having him as a favorite character. Because I was just like, that's rough. That thing that you just yeah. said, my friend. Yeah. yeah. Or that doesn't quite fit with this moment in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there was there was a bit of that. So that's why I, I really, and as we said earlier, I can't stand Blair. I, I just can't. <laughs> Me either. And that poor that poor actress will never be the same for me because I just I can't get out of her saying, well, of course, I'm coming home because I'm the princess. And <laughs> you want me and I want to say, no, I, I really don't want you coming home there. Uh, see you next year after you've been in Peru for a while. I, yeah. Sayonara. Chiquita. We saw you two weeks ago. Bye. Yeah. So I, I yeah, that, that was a tough one for me. And, and again, as you said, for quotes, I mean, there are there are things that we say. That, the, that are in the movie that, of course, obviously that makes them quotes. But mm-hmm. yeah, the seal stuff. I love that scene in the movie. I really do. It still makes me chuckle. Um, or I love the scene between uh, Walt, who's a truly curmudgeon old man, mm-hmm. and Luther, where Luther said, how do you suppose he got the picture? What picture? The one, the one here in that. Oh, he climbed up. Oh, he climbed up. Climbed up. Onto climbed your up. roof. Well, onto yeah. your roof. Yeah. <laughs> and again, we we quote those things around for the cat, but that's not really a good quote of the movie. It's just yeah. that it's a trigger for us to have laughed at the movie. Right. And Which... I had that moment reading the book a lot, too, because, you know, like I said, I always write down a favorite character scene and quote, mm-hmm. and no quotes stood out for me in the book. Like, there there were parts that were fun, but there wasn't any sort of quote that just like stuck with me no and then for scene as well there were some scenes that in my head were funny because they made me think of the movie and again that's just my fault for having seen the movie so many times before reading the book Mm -hmm. but no in the book no scenes really stuck out necessarily except maybe that ending with um so in the end yeah in the end uh a bit of a spoiler warning here. Obviously, Blair comes home and they do not end up going on the cruise. And so Luther takes the cruise package, the tickets and everything, over to the neighbors, uh, Walt and Bev, who they are kind of feuding throughout the book and the movie, but Bev has been struggling with cancer. 
And so he takes it over and gives it to them so that they can leave and they start packing and it's beautiful. It's a it's a moment, isn't yes. it? Yes. So other than that scene though, like nothing really did it for me as far as a specific scene. I really liked the caroling scene just because sure. that scene is really funny. But it, yeah. it might be because in my head, I think of the caroling in the movie. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's hard. Well, and it, it almost makes it sound like it's a throwaway book or something along those lines. And it isn't. I don't mean mm -hmm. to say that. It's just um, kind of hard to separate the two. Again, I think because it is such a loyal translation. It, yes. Yes. And I think, you know, unlike when you read uh, A Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. And you see 27 movies about A Christmas Carol. And every single one of them has God Bless Us Everyone. Yeah. But you see it and hear it differently. Yeah. So this book itself doesn't have a single line like that that mm -hmm. is intrinsic to the characters that are saying it. Anybody could have been saying most of the lines in here, they could have just transferred them between Luther and Nora, between mm -hmm. Blair and Enrique, uh, between the two police. I mean, it didn't matter who was saying it as long as it was said. Yeah. And so for me, that meant that there wasn't really a character or a quote that truly in the book stood out above anyone else. It's very much an ensemble cast. It is a bit in the movie too, but it very yeah. obviously focuses on the two cranks. Mm -hmm. In the book, it's much more of an ensemble piece, which I like. I mean, I, I do too. pick books that I think will be more character-based. And so that was very much a pleasant surprise for me, was how kind of evenly the story was dispersed within the community and within the uh, neighborhood. While, yes, it was still being told mostly through Luther and Nora's point of view, but you got time with everyone else and you got conversations and points of view of everyone else as well. Yeah. So I like yeah. that. I um, did too. One of my last like main questions, and this is just kind of a weird one. I <laughs> normally would do more research on this type of question, but I read the book yesterday, so I did not do that. This book is written by John Grisham who wrote things like The Pelican Brief. Yes. And is much more known for thriller-leaning, like, police procedurals. Yes. What? Like, what do you, th what do you think might have led I, him to write this? Or do I you think that maybe... Remember. Do you think that maybe I, his other genres that he tends to stick to might have influenced this? What do we think? Because that it was just real I, weird for me that it, it was written it is by a, him. a very strange divergence from him. But I seem to remember reading something back when your dad got me the book, and it would be interesting, you you know, to look it up. But it seems to me he wrote it for someone, uh, mother, girlfriend, wife, kid. I, I mean, it. Somebody wanted a Christmas story. I was looking to see if I could find the dedication. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really was something like that. Because I, I, it is. And it's it's the only book that I have ever seen. I mean, you're right. He writes things like To Kiss a Spider and yeah. a bunch of things like that that are 
hard-hitting detective novels where the protagonist is, you know, the big burly beyond Vic Frommeyer, Vic Frommeyer, <laughs> right? No, and the girl is the damsel in distress. Um, it, it's he's not a female character builder in any way in his other books. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's much different than anything he'd ever written, and and I honestly think that. Um, that would that would be interesting because there's there's none of those pieces of what makes his other books bestsellers in their genre to tie into this. This is a, a sweet little piece of Christmas frippery that makes you smile when you read it, makes you angry when you read it, makes right. you want to lash out irrationally at Blair. You know all of those things, but there is nothing driving and, and fierce about this book. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty um, slow read for how. I mean, quick and short it is. Just because, uh, I mean, it's pretty low stakes, you know? Yeah. It's just whether or not they can get a party together before their daughter comes home. (laughs) And does the the cruise get... Yeah. Yeah. There's... there's, there's That was just, that was really interesting to me. That was honestly the other small portion of why I ended up choosing it. Is just because... When I first got sent this book from my friend who sent me her copy, I was telling Nick I was so excited I was going to read it this Christmas season. And I was like, yeah, it's, I think, John Grisham. I, I don't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure that's what I saw. And he said, oh, no, no, that can't be it. He he writes, uh, like, cop dramas and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it was. And it it was just this weird moment of, Okay, but why? Why was it that? And so do we think that he did this random contemporary fiction Christmas genre justice? Ooh, um, that's like asking me, did I enjoy the book? Yes. Do I think it's (laughs) a good book? That's my next question. (laughs) Do I think it's a good book? Mm, Not sure about that. Mm. Would I recommend somebody read it? Absolutely. It's a fun, it's an afternoon read. Um, I mean, I don't think how it matters how quickly you read. I I know that you always laugh because I read things very quickly. Um, (laughs) I don't think that matters for this. I don't think if you're interrupted. I'm a very slow reader and kept getting distracted from other things. I still read it in a day. I, I think that this book is not one that you are going to sit down and be so involved and engrossed in that the phone rings and you don't hear it. Right. You're going to hear the kids playing and you're going to get up. You're going to hear the cat getting into the cupboard and you're going to go get up. It, it is not going to keep your focus laser focused on mm-hmm. this book. It is something you could read at the doctor's office. It's something you could read while you were waiting for your daughter outside of dance or your son outside of karate. It is not difficult to read, but no, I'm I'm not positive that he did the genre, the justice that he does to the in other realms. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. It is very fun. I yes. definitely enjoyed reading it, and because it is such a quick read, I do see it being something that I would revisit in future holiday seasons. I don't think I will reread it every Christmas like I do yeah. with a couple of other things. And yeah, very much like you said, it, his other books, 
I haven't read them, but based on reviews on Goodreads, just things that I've heard about them, they are very gripping and they will make you feel that really sucked in and you need to know what happens next. Partially just due to the change in genre, but partially, I think, because maybe he isn't as comfortable in this genre. It doesn't quite do that for you, but it's also under 200 pages, so it doesn't matter quite as much. <laughs> yeah. You know? it's, it's not Harry Potter, where I reread those every summer. Sure. Um, I had not picked this book up in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Well, just about, just about 10 years, based on the, the date you gave me, right? Since yeah, it came about out. About nine. <laughs> so yeah, I hadn't picked it up since that first time. <coughs> or not 19 math is hard or not nine math is hard 19 there you go came out 19 years ago but, assuming it came out around christmas time but. yeah 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 um so no i mean i think that some of the other books you've had me read over the last couple of years that really spoke to you mm-hmm. um were much more involving for yeah. my my brain personally um, holidays, for example, I couldn't put that down. Super cute book, not um, not a heavy read, no. But it it I wanted to know what was coming around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, it's it's almost and and again, you know, you go back to uh, how you have really focused on. You've seen it so many times. Is that part of the problem? Mm-hmm. But it's almost like you knew what was coming next in this book. Yeah. And in his, in the Pelican Brief, for example, you don't know what's coming next. In uh, any of his Alex Cross books, um, uh, no, not not Alex Cross, uh, that's Patterson. Um, I can't think of another one. His protagonist, mm-hmm. he has one that he has written a couple of books about, but I, sure. I can't think I'm of it. I'm not familiar enough to know Yeah, that. obviously I'm not either. But <laughs> um, I remember... In, in that in one of those particular books that I, I did get much more involved with wanting to know what was happening next. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's had, I think, a couple of books other than this made into movies. It'd be interesting to know if they were uh, as good at following the book as this yeah. one was. Well, we really that, like that The Pelican Brief, too, that movie. Yeah. And so I am kind of interested to read that book and see if it is as faithful of a translation as this one is because like I said I this was my first time reading the book and then afterwards watched the movie for the first time probably two or three years uh so it was very surprising to me how faithful the translation was it was like I said almost one for one which is very rare and that might be because of how short the book was they felt like they could actually spend the time to translate those scenes but that could be it it was just really surprising to me Mm -hmm. so would you recommend this book to a friend i'm supposed to be asking you the questions um i would it was fun i think i would probably recommend it most to people who enjoy the movie that's interesting because yeah i think i would too because I enjoyed the book a lot. I enjoyed all of the characters more in the book than I enjoyed them in the movie. Yes. There are a couple of scenes and conversations that are more successful in the movie um, than they are in the book. 
but it, it's fun and it's it's very heartfelt and again reading it this year I think hit me very differently than it would have five years ago or even last year at this time but I, I yeah. think I would probably mostly recommend it to people who enjoy the movie already mm-hmm. because you have a basis for um I don't want to say comparison but for caring I guess you already you already care, care about bit. the characters yeah, yeah. You're, you're not having to start at scratch right yeah I get that that makes sense what do you think I think uh, I think that that's probably a really good way to say it. If they if somebody enjoys the movie, they will enjoy the book. Um, I'm not sure that I would recommend it to my snobby literary friends as <laughs> saying this is the best Christmas book you could ever read. I think I'd probably be more likely to recommend it for my drama kids who say, "Hey, I love Christmas with Very the Cranks, bad. but I need to read a mo- a book. Hey, this is really fun, and you'll get a kick out of it." Because it's small and because yeah. they could do that and because they do what, what you tended to do as a kid and, and you'd read a book and then you'd watch a movie and then you would argue with Tyler and I about which was better. I mean, I think that somebody looking at they it They were heated from that, arguments too. Sometimes. We got into uh, it. <laughs> dinner table conversations <laughs> to bar none. Um, but I, I believe that sometimes a younger audience, you know, you're 15 to 20 something, 15 to 22, they're constantly looking for different things than your 40 year old mom or dad that's staying home trying to read something after the kids are in bed. So I I think that this is maybe more geared towards a specific audience than a general public. That is really interesting, actually. And that does bring up a good point. I would say that the two main audiences I would recommend it to would be teenage to like 20 year olds ish who just enjoy the movie Mm -hmm. or parents who are dealing with an empty nest for the first time. Yeah. I think that those two audiences will get very, very different experiences from the book and from the movie, but specifically talking about the book, I think they will feel like they read two different books. Like, if a sixteen-year-old yes. loved mm-hmm. the movie and watched it, and then a fifty-year-old mom has an empty nest and is reading the book during Christmas, and they discuss it together, they would think they read different books. But I would say that it is a worthwhile read to both of those people. But your thirty-year-old mom with two kids at home under the age of six—it's not going to interest her. Yeah, you're not going to get as much out of it. It. Again, would just be if you really love the movie and you want some more background on the characters. Yeah. Yep. I think that's true. Which makes it interesting. Yeah. Well, I love a book that can kind of grow with you as you go through different stages of life. And I do think that this is one of those. I just think that it doesn't maybe hit every stage of life. It just hits a couple key ones. (laughs) There you go. That makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Do you have any final thoughts before we start wrapping up? Um, Thank you for asking me to read it with you. I always love discussing books. Thank you. Especially on such short notice. I really appreciate it. I felt much less guilty considering you already had a copy of the book than making one of my friends go and buy a book so that they could talk about it with me in four days. 
Besides, I'm I'm kind of friendly. Yeah, and we could drink our <laughs> eggnog and wear our Christmas sweaters that we never showed yes. off, but we oh, were sorry, wearing. Oh, sorry, see, I have Santa. <laughs> I have Grumpy Cat with a Santa hat on it. So. Which is very good. That is very good. I like Grumpy Cat. <laughs> yes, when you do your ugly Christmas sweater and then you say, wait, I didn't think it was ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you were someone that always had a different Christmas sweater for every day of December. I I still do. I hate to say something that I can wear different every day between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I still work at a school. It's the best. Hard to believe. <laughs> there may not be anybody there right now, but I still am there. <laughs> hey, send me pictures. I'll, I'll talk you up in your Christmas sweaters. Thanks, doll. <laughs> Uh, you can email the podcast at any time at the same page pod at gmail.com. If you have any books you think we should read for the podcast, any questions, collaboration requests, or if you've maybe read one of the upcoming books for an episode and you have any favorite parts or any questions you'd like us to include in our discussions, please send us an email. We would really love for you guys to be a part of those conversations with us. I'm so used to saying we. I would love for you to be a com part of those conversations with me and with whoever my guest might be at that time. Uh, if you want to reach out to me specifically, you can find my blog at tacklingtbr.home.blog or on Instagram at tackling underscore TBR. And then as for the podcast, you can find and connect with us on Instagram at the same page podcast on Twitter at the same page pod, and you can find and connect with us as well on both Facebook and YouTube by searching for the same page podcast. And then the last thing that I'm going to say, as always, is if you are listening to the show and you're liking what you are hearing, uh, it would mean a lot to us if you were to decide to go to Apple Podcasts or Amazon Music, wherever it is you're listening, and leave a positive review or a star rating and subscribe, any of that, all of that, whatever you would like to do. It's a very quick process, but it means the world to small shows like this one and helps get introduced to more bookish folks. And with that, thank you. I appreciate You're you. You're welcome, Libby. Bye. Bye.